Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. I wonder how many of you uh, come in here today feeling a little conflicted about something. Uh, I know about... Four minutes ago, I was sitting in the front row conflicted, like, do I just pretend like they can hear my voice on this video right now? Um, maybe I just sit, sit here the whole time. Uh, lately, I've been really conflicted on what to eat for breakfast. And I know some of you are like, that's not a big deal, Kellen. Breakfast is a big deal. Like, breakfast is the most important thing of the entire day. Uh, and so I've been conflicted. Like, do I want, do I want my normal smoothie and bowl of fr- frosted mini-wheats? Or I've been into sourdough bread with eggs, and I'm, I'm going back and forth. And then Chick-fil-A does this thing where they give me free things on Thursdays. And I don't know if you've ever gone there for the breakfast chick, chicken uh, biscuit. It is unbelievably good. Um, I don't know what kind of drugs they put in that chicken biscuit, but it is, it is incredibly something I want to have all the time. And so... I'm, I'm conflicted lately, and normally I know exactly what I want for breakfast all the time, and it's been frustrating for me. Um, but I think a lot of you probably have, have felt conflicted about different things in your life at some point. Um, some of those things are, are not a big deal at all. Some of those things you can be conflicted, and you could choose one of two ways, like what to eat for breakfast, not a big deal. Other things might be a little different, where uh, maybe, you're, maybe you're a young unmarried guy, and, and there's two girls that you're interested in asking out on a date. And those are, those are big decisions. And those are ones where you have to make one decision. Don't be going both on those things, okay? You've got to make one decision there. And it, and it matters. For me, things like buying cars is always something I get really conflicted about. You get the wrong car and it's like you're stuck in a car shop for all of eternity. Uh, I, made, I made one really good decision. It was probably like eight years ago. I bought this little Toyota Camry. And the thing has treated me perfectly well. I love it. Now that I said that, though, I'm a little worried. Um, buying a home is conflicting. Uh, do, do I buy this house that's actually really close to some of my other family? Or do I buy this other house that's not as good, but it's way far away from my family? Uh, I bought a house that's literally like a block and a half from my older sister when we moved here. Now, I will say it was a good decision. I'm not going to speak for her and, and say what she thinks necessarily, but um, we get conflicted about big decisions because they matter. Uh, the way that we go could, could have a lot of ramifications on our life down the road. And there's this guy in the Christmas story that we, we listen to his story and we can't help but think this guy had to be conflicted. Name of the guy is Joseph. And, and he, we know Joseph as being a really important character in the story. But to be honest, up until this Christmas story took place, Joseph was really a seemingly insignificant person. He was just a simple carpenter, but he was a very conflicted carpenter in this story. He's given some news that's really, really hard to believe, maybe even impossible to believe. And every day, I think you and I, we sit in situations like this, where we are like the conflicted carpenter, where we're given one truth or versus this truth or this supposed truth, and we're trying to figure out, what am I supposed to do with that? How is God directing me in this situation? And really the question all comes down to this. How do I go about making wise and prudent decisions in my everyday life? 
How best do I get my direction from God rather than just going full force into this wall all on my own? The story of Joseph, I think it can help us to understand how we can maybe be living well, even in those moments of our lives where we are actually very conflicted in what's happening. And so we're going to look at this story. Matthew chapter 1 starts in verse 18, goes through verse 25. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, in the four Gospels, we've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's really only two accounts of Jesus' birth in those in those four Gospels. Both Matthew and Luke talk about the birth of Jesus. Now, they both, they both go at it from different angles. Luke is talking about the, the angle of Jesus' birth through the eyes of Mary. Matthew, though, he uses Joseph. He talks through Joseph about uh, what this story actually looked like. And really, any ancient biographer like Matthew is, they're going to use the story of somebody to try to teach us some moral lessons. And there are some moral lessons that we can actually find in this story about Joseph. Uh, we see Joseph's youth and his, his youngness is, it makes his obedience to God a very captivating thing. Um, we know that he's really young. And the reason why we know he's really young is Matthew doesn't say that he was old. And so that means because he doesn't say that he was old, we know that, that kids at this point in time, they got married really, really young. Uh, Joseph probably would have been getting married between the ages of 18 and 20. Mary was likely between the ages of 12 and 14. Now, before you freak out about that, I want to just remind you, life 2,000 years ago was way different. And part of that difference actually comes in uh, when you look at life expectancy. Life expectancy around, uh, around the time of like eight ancient Rome, it was way different than it is today. We're expected to live to what, 80 years old now? Something like that. Life expectancy back then was somewhere between 35 and 42 years old. And that's taking out infant mortality rates. Because almost 25% of babies would actually die before they got to the age of one. And so when you put that into it, the, the, the life expectancy actually was about 20 to 33 years old. So we're talking, this is, this is just a different world that they lived in. Uh, Joseph would have been expected to be taking on adult responsibilities at the age of 13. Can I tell you how old that is? It's a 7th or 8th grade boy. If you've ever had a conversation with a 7th or 8th grade boy, let me just say, this is not somebody that you necessarily, in our, in our culture, hand over adult responsibilities to. I'm not trying to be mean, but try to have a conversation with a 7th and 8th grade boy, and it's all over the place. Or it's very quiet. Uh, 
we do not expect our kids to be adults. That's part of the beauty of the world that we live in now is that we actually are allowed to let kids be kids for a long time. Back in Jesus' day, Joseph and Mary, they, they weren't given that option. By the time you were 12, it's like it's time to be an adult because you know what? You may not live that long. And so you've got to grow a family. You've got to build a family. We've got to keep this human population going. So get married. Get married young. And so let's get comfortable with the idea that Mary and Joseph were pretty young. But I don't want us to get too comfortable with it because Matthew still is, he seems to think the way that Joseph handled this whole situation was pretty impressive. I think as, you, as we read through this, you see that what Joseph does here, whether he was a young guy or an old guy, this dude had character. And the question is, what, what enabled Joseph to respond in such a mature, trusting, unique way to his fiance getting pregnant before they consummated their marriage? We're going to get back to this question kind of at the end. I want to go through a, a, a number of things before we get to answering this question this morning. Now, honestly, when you look at this story, it doesn't look like the conversation between Mary and Joseph about what was going on inside of Mary's body went very well. Seems like they had a conversation and Joseph decided to do something. Matthew 1.19, it says that he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So Mary has a talk with him. Hey, Joseph, just so you know, I'm pregnant. What? I don't think it's going to go over well any, any way, shape, or form. But what's interesting is, yes, he decides he needs to divorce her, but it's the way that he does it that's impressive. He doesn't storm out of the house mad. He doesn't go out into the city streets and tell everybody what an awful woman Mary is. It says, it says that he's going to do this quietly. So if you want moral lesson number one from Joseph this morning, it's this. Joseph proved that even in youth, it's possible to handle unexpected and troubling news with dignity and grace. And can't just tell you how many times I don't handle news with dignity and grace. Man, people, you know, they tell you something and sometimes I kind of go, maybe I, I, on the outside I show it okay, but on the inside, it's not calm. It's not full of grace. And you think about this, if if Joseph really believed that Mary was pregnant, the only logical ex explanation was that he cheated on her. That he, she had done something that, that couldn't, maybe he couldn't even forgive. And what could have happened is he could have extracted some serious revenge in this situation. I actually want to go ahead to a moment in Jesus' life for a minute. There was a moment where Jesus went, was out on the streets one day, and there's this woman who was about to be stoned to death. And the reason this woman was about to be stoned to death, the story is in, in John chapter 8. The reason she's about to be stoned to death was because the people of that community said that they caught her in adultery. They caught her in an act of adultery. So they had pulled her out into the street, and they had decided, we are going to stone her. And why? Because the law that they followed, the rabbinical law, actually said that that could happen. That's crazy. And Jesus, you might, you might actually know the story a little bit, but, but Jesus, and I wonder, was Jesus, as he was standing out in this street with this woman who had been found committed, committing adultery, and they were about to stone her, was there this thing that went off in his head and thought, my, 
my earth dad, Joseph, could have done this to Mary. Mary, by legal rights, could have been taken out into the street for adultery, according to what Joseph was thinking happened. I wonder if Jesus was thinking about Mary when he was talking to this woman. And a lot of you, you know what Jesus said. He, he looked around to the crowd that day. John 8, 8, verse 7, he says, Let any one of you who is out without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. It's one of the most beautiful verses that, that Jesus probably spoke in the Bible. It's a verse of grace. And we see this moment being foreshadowed in the life of Joseph. He, he had to have thought that Mary had cheated on him because she was pregnant. And he could have very well had the right to take her out into the city streets and to see that she was stoned to death, but he didn't do it. Joseph, even in his hurt and in his anger, he lovingly decided to show Mary grace. Now, what he decided to do before the angel came and talked to him, he decided to divorce her quietly. And, and yes, we say divorce, and a lot of people are like, well, they were engaged. It was, it was a betrothal, it was an engagement, yes, but it's different a little bit than it is today for us. It was a legal arrangement. The only thing was is that they weren't living together in the same house yet, but they were legally bound to each other. And so in order to break away from her, he would actually have to divorce her. But he decides that he's going to do this quietly. And by keeping quiet about the reason for the divorce, what actually was happening was Joseph was welcoming upon himself ridicule from the, from the community around him. He was welcoming upon himself judgment from the people around him. And so we get a second moral lesson here from Joseph. Joseph was willing to pay a personal price himself in order to provide a remedy for Mary's suffering. He was willing to pay a personal price. Something that I don't like to do for people very often. When he was sure, when he was sure that Mary, the reason for, for her being pregnant must be something devious, he decided to be patient. He decided to be Gracious. He decided not to go and tell everybody what he thought was going on. Joseph acted with the kind of grace that we see with Jesus even when Jesus went to the cross. He's quietly set about to divorce her so that nobody knew what was going on. He kept quiet about it. And this reminds me so much of what we see in Jesus. In fact, the, the prophet Isaiah in the book of Isaiah chapter 53 verse 7 the prophet Isaiah was talking about Jesus, the Messiah, when he was going to go to the cross and how he was going to be quiet. He was going to be going to the cross for you and for me, for all of our sins. If it was you and me, we would have been saying, no, don't, like, this isn't, this isn't my job to do. It's all these people. It's their fault. But he kept quiet. And this is what Isaiah said. He said, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Jesus was quiet for our sake. And he went to the cross. Jesus was quiet when he could have, going to that cross, he could have said, no, that, this is too much. It's, not, it's nothing that I did that's making me have to go to this cross. It's, it's everybody else. Don't send me there. You see, Joseph was actually doing the same thing with Mary before the angel even came and talked to him. He was saying, you know, Mary, I don't, I don't, I don't trust what you're telling me or what I'm hearing. I, you had to have done something wrong. People don't just get pregnant. 
But you know what? I'm still going to be quiet about what I think because I want, I want to keep you in, in your good name. And what he did was he took up his cross. Jesus, this is something Jesus talked about in Luke, chapter, in Luke 9. Jesus talked about we are called to take up our cross daily and walk with it. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. You see, grace is not grace without alleviating someone else's suffering. Grace is not grace without you actually putting some of their suffering on, on you yourself. That's why grace is a really, really hard thing. That's why grace is the thing that I'm probably most thankful for that I have in Jesus. Because it's just, it, it's such a, an incredible gift that's given to us. I love what the author, is an author and a pastor, Doug Newton, he says this, only when we give up something rightfully ours or put ourselves in harm's way or jeopardize our security for another is it like Jesus' cross. And even then, it only faintly reflects what he endured. The unsettling thought is that Jesus seems to expect us to do this daily. Can I tell you, it is not easy to take this idea of taking up our cross to take somebody else's pain, to take some, what, when somebody else messes up and for us to put it on ourselves and take that for them. It is especially not easy for us to do that every single day, which seems to be what Jesus is saying we're supposed to do. Take up our cross daily. Tell you what, when stuff is going wrong in my life, I want people to know it and I want people to be sad for me. Let's just be honest. We all like it a little bit when people feel bad for us, when things are going bad. If I, am, if I got a cold, which I have a little bit of a cold right now, I, and I cough, and I look over at my wife, I'm like, do you hear that? It was really bad, wasn't it, hon? And if I don't get the response from her that I want, I'm going to have to step up my game. I might have to sneeze on her. I don't know. Like, I want her to acknowledge that my life is really hard. Things are really difficult right now. We all want people to acknowledge that. And sometimes it gets a lot worse than that, obviously. We don't want to put ourselves in harm's way for anything or anyone. You know, there are moments in life where you know you could take up somebody's difficult moment for them. Something happens at work and things don't get done the way that, that they should get done. And you could take it on yourself and you're like, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to take that for that person. But Jesus, and we see it also in the story of Joseph, the act of grace is taking somebody else's pain and taking it on yourself a little bit. It's a beautiful thing. Joseph was willing to do that. He was, he was willing to be looked at as that guy who maybe was going to divorce that girl for a bad reason. And that was going to stick on him for the rest of his life. So we got, we got all this stuff happening already with Joseph and the angel hasn't even come and talked to him yet. We've got this guy who is willing to, to, to take difficult news with grace and with dignity to keep quiet about what it was that Mary had done. We've seen him act with grace in such a way where he's, he's even willing to say, okay, I'm going to take ridicule upon myself from the rest of the community because I don't want to hurt Mary any more than she probably has already hurt. But then we get to... Uh, I think a third moral lesson that we can find in Joseph. And this last one's the one that I think we always see all the time. Joseph trusted God with the impossible. See, a lot of times I think we just look at 
at the part about the angel and everything that happened after the angel. But we have to realize there was so much grace in Joseph's heart before the angel ever came and talked to him. And I think that's part of what set him up to actually act with grace once the angel came. And so the angel comes and tells him something that's incredibly impossible to believe still. That this this child inside of Mary, it's from God. I'm telling you what, if I heard that in a dream, I'd wake up and be like, yeah, that was just a dream. The angel didn't even come to him in person. It was still in a dream and he still walks away and he believes in the impossible from God. In fact, he believed it so much that according to what we read in the passage, we we actually have to assume that Joseph, the moment he woke up, he went and he legally made the actual marriage happen. Because the Bible says that he took Mary into his home. It says, uh, verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. So there was no waiting around anymore. He hears in a dream from an angel that this is, this is God's doing. And he says, okay, I'm going to run with it. And once again, we, this might just be more grace that he's trying to give to Mary. Maybe this is his way of being like, well, maybe people won't suspect weird things if we go ahead and we get married right now. But here's the thing. It's a little town. Word gets around. Word has probably been getting around already about Mary a little bit. And here's what we need to know. Men in this situation, they were not allowed legally to give a woman a second chance if she had been suspected of adultery. So now you know a lot of people in the town, they're already expecting things from Mary. And so when he says, no, I'm going to go and marry you right now, he's gone against what the town has said should do. And so maybe that means people are going to think that, okay, maybe it was Joseph. Maybe Joseph did get her pregnant earlier than was supposed to. I'm telling you, in this culture, what Joseph is doing here is he is, again, bringing ridicule on himself. He's saying, I don't care what people think. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And this is what I love. Craig Keener, he's a commentator uh, on the book of Matthew, and one of my favorite commentaries. And he says this, Joseph's obedience to God cost him the right to value his own reputation. I wonder how often I've been willing to let my reputation suffer because I was willing to be obedient to God. Can I tell you how many times I've not been willing to let my reputation suffer because I'm obedient to God? Every kid who has ever gone to public school and was trying to be a Christian knows what this is like because you've gone to lunch and you've done the whole prayer like this. Ah, thank you for the food, Lord. Amen. You've done that because you don't want the reputation to suffer by just acknowledging God a little bit. And we do that in our lives all the time. But Joseph was willing to let his reputation suffer if it meant being obedient to God. Trusting God with things like Joseph was asked to trust God with, it is not easy. This was impossible. It was an impossible thing that this angel was telling him. You know, we know God is trustworthy, I think. I think most of us in our heart, we believe God is trustworthy. But that doesn't mean that we trust God no matter what. Even people in our lives who we trust 100%. Most of you, if you're married, you would say, I trust my spouse 100%. 
Just because we trust our spouse 100% doesn't mean that every now and then there aren't crazy thoughts that go into our brains. Crazy thoughts that maybe make us question our spouse's faithfulness to us. We question things all the time. And so I, I sit here and I wonder in this story with Joseph, how did he not question this whole thing? How did he not at some point go, you know what, this whole thing about the angel and me dreaming it, and all, did that really happen? Was that really the angel? And I think it goes even further. We don't know how long Joseph lived after this story. We really don't see Joseph again. Uh, he, he probably passed away at, at some point in Jesus' upbringing. But I wonder, as, Je- as Jesus was beginning to grow up, I wonder if Joseph ever, in those moments of doubt, as he was walking around his town, if he ever looked at other guys' faces and goes, he looks a little bit like Jesus. He looks a little bit like Jesus. We don't think about that because we just, we're like, oh, Joseph was, he was this character in the Bible and, and he was above reproach. You, he was a human. Don't tell me he didn't have doubts at some point. But even in the midst of all those doubts, he still continued to trust God with the impossible. The character of Joseph shows through this whole story. He trusted God even when I'm sure there had to be nagging questions about what it was that God was doing. Was it even God doing it? And there are things that go in our lives every single day where we are, we're put in a spot where we can question, God, is this really you? Are you really doing this? And sometimes it takes us just getting past those nagging questions and say, you know, I'm going to trust, I'm going to trust even, even though that, that nagging question's there. Joseph went so full force into this whole story that he was willing, even after he, the Bible says that he took Mary home as his wife, they were married, he still did not consummate the marriage until after Jesus was born. That is buying into the storyline in such a way that he wanted to, to do nothing that would make people question whether or not by the time that, that Mary gave birth to Jesus, that that was, that was God's son and nothing else. Joseph showed himself to be an example of grace. He showed himself to be a beautiful example of what it looks like to trust God when trusting God makes absolutely no sense, when it seems impossible. And so that's where I think it's time for us to get back to the, to the question that I had posed earlier on when we first started off. And the question was this, what enabled Joseph to respond in such a mature, trusting, unique way to his fiance getting pregnant before they ever consummated their marriage? What made Joseph different than probably most of us in this room would have been? And I think the answer is found mostly in who it was that Joseph chose to listen to. Joseph chose to listen to God's reassurance rather than the fears that came from everywhere else. He chose to listen to God's reassurance. And that reassurance came in the voice of this angel. Verse 20, But after he had considered divorcing Mary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. I can't imagine the pressure that Joseph must have been feeling from every, everyone and everything around him. You can't tell me that his, his family wasn't coming to him and being like, Joseph... We don't know about this girl. His friends. Joseph, you know what everybody around town is talking about, right? And then when he started telling everybody, this is why I'm staying with Mary. I had this dream. 
Can you imagine how people reacted to that? But Joseph chose to listen to God rather than the fears that everything and everyone was putting into his brain. God stepped in and said, you know what, Joseph? Everything isn't as it seems like it would be. Trust me and I'm going to show you what I mean. I wonder how many times have you run from what it was that God wanted you to do in your life? Because there were fears, there were outside things. And a lot of them even sounded really, really smart. But they were telling you things that were different than what God was trying to, trying to speak into your mind and into your heart. How many times have we run away from what God was wanting for us? Because we were, we were listening to the fears rather than God's voice. How many times have you listened to the fears that were shouting at you instead of the one voice that was the one voice you actually needed to listen to? Here's what I want us to get from this story today. I think there's a lot in the story of Joseph. I actually really enjoyed just kind of studying through this story of Joseph this week. Because there was stuff that I hadn't even really thought through before. But here's what I want us to walk away with. Joseph in this story was never running away from God at any point in the story. You know, we thought, maybe we thought in the past that when he was ready to divorce Mary, that was him running. He was, he was trying to do it the right way. He was never running from God at any point in the story. He was willing to sacrifice himself. He was willing to show grace and take ridicule on himself no matter what. And I wonder why does this matter? It matters because his spirit and his heart were right. Even before the angel came into that, into that dream of his, the heart and the spirit of Joseph was right. He wasn't being harsh with Mary. He was trying to be loving with Mary. So that even when the angel actually appeared to him, it was almost like he was looking for a reason to stay with this girl that he had decided to love. But everything around him at that point was saying, you're not going to be allowed to. But when the angel gave him that one, that one sliver of hope, he's like, yes, let me run with that. And I think it's because Joseph was a man of grace. His heart had not been hardened for the moment that God chose to step in and to tell him what it was he wanted him to do. There's so many times where we're looking around for what is it that God's asking from me? What is it that God wants me to do? Can I tell you the one way that you can know that you're never gonna hear from God the right way? It is to live a bitter life. It is to live a life that is simply for yourself and not for the people around you. It is hard to hear from God when that's the way that we choose to live. The way that Joseph chose to live, it was complete graciousness. When I live my life, under the example of Jesus, who is the embodiment of grace. It is in those moments where I'm living out my life in grace, like Jesus, that I'm able to hear things from God of how he wants me to do stuff. And the reason is because I'm not out for myself. I'm out for what is best for the people around me. I'm out for what is for God's glory. So when my heart is softened, when my heart is gracious, I can hear the voice of God. But man, when my heart gets hard, when I'm angry, when I'm bitter at the people around me, it's really tough to hear God's voice any further. And then it's just this cycle. So my question this morning for you is this. Are you responding to everyday scenarios with the grace that Joseph responded to Mary with? 
Are you responding to everyday scenarios with the grace that Jesus responded to you with when he went to the cross for you? Or on the other hand, are you living all of your life in a completely reactionary kind of way? If you're young and you don't know what I mean by living reactionary, it just means anytime anything happens, you just go by the seat of your pants and you make the decision right then and there. I'm telling you, when we live that way, if Joseph had lived that way in his anger, he would have gone out and probably gone out into the streets and told everybody, this is what Mary did, it's time to stone her. But he didn't do that. Living a reactionary life keeps us from hearing what God wants from us. But living a life of gratitude and graciousness lets us hear from God. Today, do you want to hear God's voice better? Let's start by living with a level of grace that can allow us to hear the voice of God. Now, I'll be honest, it's not easy to live that level of grace all the time. We have to ask God for help. We have to ask God to put his spirit into us in such a way, the spirit of God, the spirit that Jesus showed in every moment of his life. Lord, put that spirit of graciousness in me that I will live with grace the way that you call me to live so that when it's time for you and you want to speak to me about what you want me to do, that I'll be open and ready to hear it. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.